Podcast Answer Man, episode number 175. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast, Answer Man. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and I have a wonderful show for you this week. Today, I'm going to be talking with Rob Greenlee from Zoom Podcasting over there at Microsoft. And of course, I am going to see if we can also include a very special audio review of the brand new Zoom H1 recorder. We're going to do that right now. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to spend a lot of time doing a huge intro and talking all about how cool Rob Greenlee is, but I do have Rob on the line with us right now. Rob, how are you? Doing terrific, Cliff. It's great to speak with you. Well, it's great to have you on here, and uh, I just want to let folks know that you had reached out to me, what, I think probably about two weeks ago? Yes. Yeah. And uh, we had a, I think, you did we ended up talking for at least two hours last week, didn't we? Yeah, it seemed like about that, you know, about an hour and a half probably in that range, yeah. I think. Yeah. Great conversation. Um, basically, Rob, I'm going to let you tell people real quickly here what's what happened in the world of Microsoft as it relates to podcast. If you can give us just a little history of the Zoom podcasting, how it got started, how you got to be working for Microsoft and, and give us a little history there. Well, the Zune platform started back in uh, 2006 as primarily a music player. Um, so Zune launched the, you know, a Zune client software and then a Zune 30 player device, right, that, that worked very similar to what everybody's probably most accustomed to right now. It's like the, uh, the iTunes and iPod type of experience. So, so back in 2006, uh, the company um, started this initiative. I'm sure everybody heard about that launch, and and then subsequently, about a year later, um, since the platform was primarily music at that point, uh, there wasn't really any other content on the platform. They decided to um, add a new um, kind of content area, and it was podcasts. So at that time, actually in the, the year 2006 or so, I was working for a software company in Seattle called Melodio, and I was working on a, on a mobile podcasting software product called Mobilecast. And so I basically was doing a lot of the same stuff. I was working with content providers. I was building out catalogs of content for the wireless operators uh, Actually, around the world, I built catalogs for a lot of European carriers and then here in the U.S. with like Singular and Rogers and those kind of stuff. I did that from about 2005 to 2006. So that really kind of gave me a background around mobile and podcasting and working with content providers and building catalogs and that kind of stuff. So uh, Zoom launched and then I had heard through the industry that uh, Microsoft was planning on rolling out a podcast catalog, and I lived here in Seattle, um, and so I applied for the position and and uh, came in and spoke to ma- many people in here, and they, they really didn't have a lot of um, people that, that work for the company here that were knowledgeable about the podcast content community, and so I was very much a part of that uh, uh, since I had spent um, actually... Since about 1999, I should really go back a, a little bit here. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but 
uh, and launched my own uh, broadcast radio show back in 1999 called Web Talk Radio. Actually, back in that time, it was called Web Talk Guys. And so I had actually been publishing a regular weekly radio show. And then uh, you know, that show had been syndicated at about 15 radio stations. It was on CNET Radio and the XM Satellite Radio Network. And then, um, then podcasting started to kind of come along around um, 2004 uh, was really when it started. So, so I started podcasting my radio show back in 2004. It was actually September 15th. Um, and so that, that basically gave me a lot of experience uh, with podcasting. It was very much a part of the founding group of podcasters uh, back in the early days. And so, so, so you know, kind of fast forward back to where we are today with, uh, you know, this Zoom opportunity. They saw my background and saw that I had a lot of a lot of connections, you know, in the industry, and and felt that I'd be a good fit for this job of taking on and getting the kind of Zoom podcasting catalog and and you know total experience and was brought in kind of in a dual role was brought in to manage kind of the technical deployment at the very beginning, uh, as well as the content offering. Um, so it was kind of a dual role, and then over like a, a year or so, that role kind of phased out as less of a technical role and more as a uh, more of a content role. So I was building the catalog, working with content providers, making re- recommendations to the, the engineering side of the company. Um, but really my primary role um, moving forward uh, was to build out the catalog and to do, you know, the regular features, you know, it's our Tuesday and Friday uh, feature updates in the catalog. So that kind of brings us up really up to, to today. I did uh, actually work on the Zune video store for about a little under a year or so to get that launched uh, as well, working with content providers um, on the TV store side and got that launched. And then the company hired a, a full-time person to come in and manage the, the movie and TV side of the business as well. So I've been here really since the podcast catalog, actually about a month before the podcast catalog launched um, is when I came on board. We, we only had about 800 podcasts in the catalog at, at launch back in 2007. Um, and we're up over, I think, 25 or twenty-five to 30,000 feeds now. Uh, you know, it's part of the catalog today. Um, and so podcasts today, um, on Zoom, kind of have moved um, online. So off of our Zoom.net website, we offer uh, Silverlight streaming of all of our podcasts in, in the catalog. And then we also have the video podcasts available in the Windows 7 Media Center um, software on the, the PC as well. Very cool. So that kinda, yeah, so that kind of gives you a kind of an all-up view of, you know, of my background as a podcaster and then kind of moving in and helping this company, which was not really knowledgeable about podcasting at that time. Well, I'll tell you, I remember back in 2007, I was very hard into podcasting by that time and, uh, in fact, getting ready to pursue it full-time as a career. And I remember just how excited I was to, to learn that the Zune was being launched and what really thrilled me about the launch of the Zune hardware was the fact that the word podcasts actually showed up on the display 
And there was a lot of debate of whether or not Microsoft would really possibly let that happen. I mean, so many people (laughs) associate the word pod and podcast with iPods and and stuff like that, which obviously it does not have to have anything to do with an iPod, as we all know, or well, yes. as, as most of us know. And and so the fact uh-huh. that you actually had Microsoft actually had the word podcast on their device in the main operating system, I fell over. I'm like, this is awesome for the podcast community. And I remember telling everybody, oh my gosh, this Zoom software or Zoom marketplace is going to launch. They're going to have a podcasting section. And in fact, here's all the details. Everybody needs to go and you need to submit your RSS feed. And I remember being so excited about this. But Rob, I'm going to ask you what happened because uh, it seemed like about two or three months down the line as I was adding a lot of new clients to the store or at least submitting their podcast to the directory, um, days would go by, weeks would go by, and then months would go by. And even with multiple attempts, none none of my podcast clients' podcasts were showing up in the directory. Can you tell me anything about that? Well, yeah, I think, um, I mean... That was a frustration for me here as well. Um, I, from the day one when I started here working on it, I mean, a lot of the, the, the architecture of the, the back end, like the back end tools and the front end, you know, with the Zune software, um, you know, was pretty much already set. So when they brought me in, I was basically just brought in to make sure the catalog was curated and maintained. Um, and so it, over the three years that I've been here, that has been in a, a kind of a sore spot, and and I'm freely admit it. Um, and it's something that I've been working hard to to improve ever since I've been here. But since I'm just on the content side, I'm not necessarily on the engineering side, so I don't make a lot of the technical decisions about the tools. I can only make recommendations into the engineering team and then it's their kind of project to upgrade it and do the things that they need to do and and unfortunately the tools were were never architected that the way that i i would have chosen to have them architected um and that contributed to kind of a a, kind of a wonky philosophy about how to to ingest podcast feeds and how to to manage that portion of it and what kind of investment that the company was going to make in uh, staffing and resources to enable that to happen. Um, so, so, and part of it really gets back to, I think that the company rushed ahead to add podcasts, but I'm not sure that they got into the finer minutia of, of really trying to analyze um, what, what the most effective way of getting these podcasts into the catalog. Um, now, granted, you know, I have had staff here working on that for 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 the whole time I've been here. So it isn't just just me. Um, you know, if you look o- over the last three years, it's been um, you know there's been a couple of uh, staff people that have been working on that as well as myself um, to try and keep up. Now, when we launched um, back in 2007, we had a a huge influx. I mean, just like what you said uh, of people s- submitting feeds to us. The issue that we had was on, on the front end. So like in the, the Zoom software and, and subsequently, I think a year after we launched, we added the ability to submit via our website at zoom.net. Um, the filtering at the front end was uh, never architected, um, which means that um, 
the philosophy of submission was based more on users submitting feeds to us versus content providers. And that's, that's where, a, where a fundamental philosophy difference was, was between my philosophy and the engineering side or, uh, you know, about how to architect the whole kind of submission approval process. And so what, what that caused them to create was a tool that basically ranked submissions based on a popularity model. So uh, that popularity model was based on how many times that podcast feed was submitted to us. So a podcaster that just went in and submitted it once um, would probably not show up in my queue of podcasts to be accepted because the whole tool was built based on a popularity model. So what you really need is an audience of maybe... 20 to 50 people who all go out together within a short period of time, maybe within 30 days, and all of them go in and submit your podcast feed. And once enough people have submitted, it's like, wow, yep. the software says, wait, there's there's enough popularity here that people want this. We'll submit this over to Rob to review and put into the store. Correct. And that that's what the philosophy was of the engineering team coming into it. They were looking at it more from a, a user perspective, less a content provider Perspective, and that's what put us into this path of, of, uh, of getting a lot of submissions. So my database uh, of of queued submissions was, you know, three four hundred thousand uh, lines in the database. I mean, at any given time, there's this huge pool of, of su- submissions. The unfortunate thing is, is that a lot of users don't really understand uh, what a podcast feed is, and so I would consequently get. Um, direct links to to MP3 files or direct links to you know to to their website or what whatever and not valid XML feeds. So we would spend a lot of time going through and removing these invalid feeds and having to verify and having to to see if these were valid feeds before we could add them to the catalog. And it created this this kind of massive delay of of getting through the queue and plus plus. It, you know, unfortunately, if a podcaster just submitted their feed to us once, um, that wouldn't that one submission would never make it up t- to the top of my queue for us to actually go through and approve. Right. Um, so, so that was that was fundamentally a a flaw in the architecture before I got here, and and I've been pushing to get the get the thing approved, and we are improving the tools. Um, though it's been been slow because the company has uh, put their energies and the emphasis, and you can probably see that in the outgoing product, you know, around really improving the the TV spo- store experience, adding movies, um, really expanding the music offering as well, and to try and make it as robust as they can. So that's that's really where the company put a lot of investment is in building out those areas and. It, and taking Zune into Xbox and and those those kind of areas. So so that's that's kind of why uh, it's not the optimal thing that I would have wanted. But uh, you know it's a big company and they make make the decisions based on what the priorities are right. as far as where where they're going to put the dev resources. Yeah, well, obviously they're a huge company and and they certainly have priorities and projects. And I certainly know as a as a content producer and even as a business person myself, I know there are, there are a lot of people 
who are who hire me and are, and who order a lot of the digital training products and they say, "Man, Cliff, I really wish you would create this. I really wish you would create this. I really wish you." Yeah. Would. And of course, it's like, "Yeah, that's on my list and I really want that too." But right now there are some higher priority projects. And of course, you know, I imagine, you know, the the similar scenario. We podcasters us content producers, independent con- content producers, we'd really like Microsoft to maybe throw some resources and have somebody hire uh, somebody to create some code to, to generate a an automated script or program or something like that that will automatically go through all the yep. lines of code of that submission and they could easily create that that code to to go in and, and to check it to see if it's a valid feed number one and if not dump it out of the database and if it is a valid yep. feed make sure that there are enclosures and and stuff but of course that takes time it takes money and it takes resources and it has to be a priority and and that's one thing i guess right now it hasn't been and i will say up until you contacted me last week i've been very down on Microsoft and Zoom and it's and it's actual uh, I think in a, in my mind I was very frustrated because they bring this world of quote unquote podcasting to the masses with their device and and then all of a sudden they don't let content producers easily get into the store but now we know the story what I want to say that's changed in my perspective and I want to say this for my audience my ch- what's changed for me is to know that somebody still is employed uh, and paid by Microsoft to keep podcasting going there. Now, obviously, you know, you, as you said, you, you're not a decision maker in, in the area of the technology of how it's done, but you're still a voice. You're an advocate for the world of podcasters, and you're on. You're actually being paid by Microsoft to do that for us. Yes, yes, and that's. Um, I mean, my philosophy has always been here is to to look out for the content providers, and and unfortunately, that that doesn't always jive with the priorities um you know at the company but i do want to say more on a on a positive and upbeat note about this whole topic is that i've been very um out there uh and that's part of the reason why i wanted to to speak with you is to reach out to your audience and say that i'm i'm open to you guys um sending me emails directly you know with your podcast feeds and i will make sure that they get added you know, personally myself. And I've been actually doing that since, you know, ever since I've been here because I know that the podcast community, though, you know, there are many of you out there um, uh, having direct contact, you know, with me uh, is, is possible. And I want you to take advantage of that because I want your feeds in our catalog and I want to, to work with you and promote your shows as much as I can. Folks, listen to that. What Rob is saying to you, he's gonna. We're gonna give you his email in just a second. Actually, I'll just throw it out to you now. Rob at zoon.net. Okay, so there it is. Open to the world. Email Rob, and for, especially for those. First of all, I want to speak to a couple hundred clients of mine. Uh, all of you clients out there, remember when you asked me, Cliff, where do I need to submit my podcast? And I remember I told you, oh, really, just submit it over to iTunes and, and Google. Those are the top places you're going to get listed. Really don't. I mean, maybe if there's another podcast directory that might be in your niche target, they might have something like that. But uh, really, you need to network. Well, here's the thing. If all of you folks that I told you really don't need to worry about Microsoft and Zoom, I'm changing that right now. If you want to be in the Zoom podcasting directory, head over to your email client, fire up a compose message, rob at zoom.net, 
put in the subject line podcast submission and send him an email with the link to your RSS feed and Rob will get you into the Zoom podcasting store. Yeah, and also, you know, it's also going to be available um, off of our website at zoom.net. So we have the full catalog of of all the stuff that's added to our catalog um, off of the website. It's searchable. So if you go to zoom.net, you can search for your podcast to find it in there. Um, and so we're streaming all of the stuff via Silverlight uh, th- through there. And then if you're a video podcaster, your podcast will also be available through Media Center as well. So... So that's kind of the dual kind of thing. And then here in the fall, we've got um, Windows Phone 7, so which will hopefully um, scale um, much, much more than what we've seen with the Zune kind of player devices. Uh, you know, I'm very hopeful. I'm excited about it. I mean, I've, I've, I've used the Windows Phone 7, um, you know, device myself, and I'm really excited about it. And I think it's a really good platform for, I mean, for podcasters. I mean, I think it's going to be really good and they are going to keep improving it on the mobile platform. So it isn't something that's just going to, we're going to put out there and it's going to be stagnant. They're going to keep, keep improving it. So I think, um, uh, you know, it's really exciting and I've got my fingers crossed that the Windows Phone 7 will be a huge, huge success in the market. Well, I hope so too. I, I, I'm excited about that phone coming out. I'm an, I'm an iPhone guy myself, but I love competition that drives Apple to, to unleash some of the chains and unlock some of the features that we know that they're just holding back on us. Uh, and I think yep. having the, the Windows Phone 7 is going to be a great opportunity to turn up the heat on the fire. Um, a couple things. First and foremost, you, you mentioned a couple times now, the Zoom, if you people go to zoom.net, they can search for podcasting. This is like uh, for the iTunes directory, uh, you guys have a web interface to your podcasting directory. And I love this. And people can yep. go from a browser. You can link people from a browser, uh, link them directly to your page for your podcast on the Zoom podcasting website. And people, they can go right there and click on play and, and listen to it right from the browser using, uh, I, I guess you said that Silverlight that's using that. And so yeah, this, it's Silverlight for video podcasts. Uh, it's not for the audio podcast. Well, the audio podcasts are down there as well, though. I, I see that yes. uh, down at the bottom, uh, if you click play, it'll load it up down into the bottom of your browser. I'm not sure what technology they're using there to stream that, but it's, it's also there and it functions uh, wonderfully. Now, there is a couple things that I'll note, and there were several folks out there that we successfully did get submitted to the Zoom store uh, for podcasting quite some time ago. Several of my shows were in there, but I noticed that in the past, or within the past year or so, I've updated a lot of artwork and some show descriptions and stuff like that, and and a lot of that's still outdated in the Zoom store. Can you explain what's going on there and how we can maybe get those updated? Well, I get, that gets back to the the whole tools issue that we've already talked about. The, but the architecture um, of the Zoom catalog today, and this is another aspect of, I mean, of improvement that uh, has been recommended to the engineering team, and and um, I'm sure we'll see it happen here soon. But we do not reparse the XML to pull out changes at this point. So any changes that need to be made to your feed, your album art, your description, your series description 
has to be run through me, unfortunately. Yeah. So uh, if I was to update my artwork uh, in in the world of iTunes, what would happen was would be that it would probably be cached for about a day, all the way up to about a week or two. Uh, but yep. eventually, they would what you call reparse the feed. They would the the feed. They would see that the feed's been updated, and they automatically take that new artwork and description and just update what they had before by replacing it. But for you guys, unfortunately, right now, that's just a manual process. But if people want to change that, it can be changed. They just need yes. to email you the new information. Yeah. So it's really it's really the same process that we talked about about getting new feeds in. Um, you know. F- for changing your album art and stuff like that. It's just a matter of letting me know that that, that podcast needs new art, new art and new album uh, or, or new series descriptions. And I can pull that directly out of your RSS feed. It just, it's a manual process. So just notify you, you know, th- you know, I, I'm not upset that, that the technology is not there. I'm glad that you're, you're putting those requests into that department. Um, is there anything that we can do as podcasters? Is there anything we can do to help you? Is there any feedback place that people can lead feedback for? I mean, is, I mean, is there a petition we can sign to say, hey, we would love to see some, some of these changes? I mean, of course, we don't want to cause any problems either. We just love the fact that, hey, we know that Rob now exists over there at Microsoft. We can send him, get some things done. But is there anything that the podcasting community that, that, that they could do to to maybe let Microsoft know that, hey, we're out here and we believe that having our content on your devices and in your store might bring even more popularity to the devices that you have themselves. Yeah, I wouldn't say that there's any any real um, direct route for doing that, but I do know that the company monitors a lot of the discussion that goes on on Facebook and Twitter and those those areas as well. So I think just, you know, and don't be overly negative, but just just make comments about, you know, recommendations of, you know, that you have about areas where, where the company can improve and all that feedback, um, helps build, build a case. Right. Right. Um, so it's, it's not so much about bashing the company as much as it is about, you know, encouraging the company to make improvements because they're, they're really needed. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and of course, I hope, Rob, that you understand my, my negative thoughts about Microsoft was just the fact that I just felt like we were just left out for so long. And, and my view has changed. I, of course, I, I want to let you know, as much as an Apple fanboy as I am, you know, I certainly do the same thing to call Microsoft or to call Apple out I, when they Apple came out with the whole, you know, the ability to, quote unquote, get more episodes in their in their iPhone device, and then all of a sudden they start rejecting people's applications because they duplicated functionality of being able to get new episodes directly to the device because you know they had this feature now. Well, obviously they don't do everything right over there at Apple either. They they actually have it to where you can't even get more episodes unless you have a, you've actually physically subscribed to that feed from the iTunes Store itself. And if you're if my podcast is not in the iTunes store, there's no way for them to get that. So, I mean, you know, the companies have issues from time to time, and I totally agree. I don't want anybody to get out there and be all negative, but uh, I'm certainly thankful to Microsoft that you have a place of employment and that you're being paid by them to support this and and the fact that if we inundate you over the next, let's say, 30 days with uh, you know 1500 requests to submit podcasts to the store that by golly Microsoft is paying you to add those for us and we appreciate that. Yep, that is true. 
Very cool. Well, I'm excited. Uh, l- let me ask you this. The future of, of podcasting. Is podcasting dead? I would say no. I mean, I mean, from all, all the indications that I see, it's uh, only, only growing an audience. And I think that the content is getting better all the time. I think that there's, there is a regular kind of churn of, of content out there. Uh, there's podcasts that fade and new ones that come on the scene. That, that's been going on for, for years now. But overall, I would say that the, the video podcasts are getting better in quality all the time. Um, the audio podcasts are actually getting, getting better all the time as well. So I think that, uh, you know, you've got this kind of wild, wild west of the podcast area that still exists out there. And I think that there's, there's a lot of areas for improvement. I mean, across a lot of different areas, um, from podcast feeds and, and the album art stuff and, and people making sure that their, their feeds have good looking album art and, and that are really trying to work on trying to make sure that their feeds are all, are are available off of their websites um, and to to also um, you know really support standard formats yep I think is really really important I mean one of the big challenges that I've, I I face here every day is working with content providers to to make improvements to their their presentation their album art um, uh, their descriptions making sure that the the media types that they're using are playing across all of our various tuners that we have from Silverlight to the Windows Media Player, which, which drives the media center experience uh, to, to the Zoom software. And unfortunately, all of those platforms are not 100% the same. You know, even, even in the, the Zoom ecosystem um, of my distribution, each of these players is slightly different in how it looks at and what what it's com- compatible with, so it's uh, but it's not dramatic, right? So I mean, we're standard on the support of H two six four across all of our players. Good. Uh, so I think that there's there's good um, things coming to podcasters. I'm I'm really optimistic about the future of it. I do think that it's kind of it's its future is kind of going in two directions. I think uh, on the video podcast side, I think it's critical that we make more connections with a uh, large screen TV type, you know, uh, experiences. And then on the audio side, I think we've got to get uh, more connected to portable mobile in-car in kind of experiences. And I think that's, that's where, where we're going to see the, the growth of this. I know as a podcast user myself, um, I, I watch and consume more video podcasts on my TV at home than I do on my desktop. Um, so it's, it's, that's, that's where I see the future of it. So I'm, I'm just hoping and praying that we get more uh, high quality video content that's out there and, and across our platform. Um, I mean, it's, it's really exciting times for that. And right. I just, you know, I keep hoping for the, for more and higher quality audio content content as well. And Cliff, you're a terrific example. I mean, you're so professional in how you do your, your own podcast and I'm, I'm really impressed by it. Well, thank but you. There's a lot of, lot of other people out there that are doing outstanding work with it as well. Yeah. Well, that's what we're here for each week, trying to help people take their show to the next level. Real quick here, just want to confirm, 
AAC enhanced audio podcast do not work on a Zoom or some of these other devices. Is that correct? Um, we do actually play the the AAC format. Now, if the a- AAC format um, has Apple DRM in it, it's not gonna it's not gonna play. Okay, but if they do create an an enhanced podcast using uh, the GarageBand and it's not DRM, so you will play that on the on the Zoom devices and the Windows Phone. 7. Yes, that's yes. good. And, but but I would say that my my recommendation for the Zoom platform is the is the MP3 kind of format. Absolutely. So, and just because that's what I would recommend. Yeah. Absolutely. Just because the Zoom will play it in the Windows Phone 7, I can tell you right now, my friends, there is $30 MP players all over the shelves at Walmart that will not. So MP3 yeah. will play just on just about anything. One other thing, we do have a little bug in our system right now where um, the, the, the Zoom HD um, has a little bit of a struggle with... Uh, the M4A files right now. Um, the the Tegra chip that we had um, gotten from from the manufacturer, I guess, had a a driver issue with the M4A format. Mm-hmm. Um, so the M4As play fine on our older Zune devices, the the Zune 80, the Zune 30, the Zune 4 and 8. Um, and the Zune 120, but the Zune HD does not play M4A files. So, 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 and I have seen um, more and more audio podcasters using the M4A format, and I, it's 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 just one of those things. You probably shouldn't move towards specialized formats around audio. If I mean, if you can all stick with just MP3s, you're going to be much better off. Absolutely. Hey, Rob, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to reach out to me and to us podcasters for opening up your email inbox for the onslaught of podcast submissions that is about ready to come your way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's awesome of you to do that. And I really appreciate the conversation we had last week. And I really appreciate you coming on here and answering these questions because I know all the questions I asked you today, some of them more difficult than others. Uh, are things that have been on the minds of everybody listening to this podcast. And I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing what's going on. And, and I'm excited that that Microsoft still has somebody on staff and is paying them to support the content that we produce. And I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Cliff, for you know giving me the opportunity to come on and talk to your 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 vast following of podcasters. I think it's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. That was an excellent interview with Rob over there at Zoom Podcasting with Microsoft and very glad to have him on board over there standing up for us podcasters. And at the same time, I just want to encourage you guys out there in the podcasting world. And and really, honestly, I want to encourage myself to make sure that when we are talking about podcasting, and, and so, this is something that I'll try to be uh, doing more in the future, is to, to let people know that uh, the Zune and Windows Phone 7 are great places to go find our content. And one of the things that I, I know that I've done personally in every single show notes uh, that you'll find on my site, at least for the last several, at least the last thousand or so episodes that I've produced at gspn.tv and podcastanswerman.com, you'll always see subscribe to the Podcast Answer Man podcast and you'll see a Zune button 
iTunes button and RSS button. That's at the bottom of all my show notes. And if you don't have a Zoom button, I encourage you to do it. And as soon as we can get our podcast approved over at BlackBerry, I think it'd be a good idea to put the BlackBerry uh, subscribe buttons on there. And I know that up to this point, I've not been putting Zoom buttons over there on the right-hand side of my website in the sidebar, but uh, something that I think I'll probably have to consider adding as well. I think one of the important things for us is if we want to see Microsoft invest in the the resources of of podcasters and and making it available and and really you know making it a lot easier for us to submit our shows and uh, and basically give us a way of of making it easier to get our content to their customers i think it's important for us to to remain upbeat and positive about the message that 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 hey they're a great source of uh, finding new content as well and uh, so join me as we continue to let people know that our podcasts are not only available on iTunes and RSS, but they're also available in the Zune store once you get Rob to add them in there. And then, of course, also as soon as you get listed in the BlackBerry store, let people know you can get them over there as well. And uh, I, I, th- I think some great things are going to happen in the future. All right, so I'm going to end the show here today with a very exciting piece of news I have in my hands right here, right now. I am looking at it. I am holding uh, a little device about the size of a, a Snickers bar, uh, maybe maybe just slightly larger than a Snickers bar and a regular Snickers bar and, and smaller than a king-size one, and that is, my friends, the Zoom H1 recorder. And rather than go on and on about it right now, I actually took it out into the field and then brought it back into the studio. I recorded all of that for you. And this right here, my friends, is that recording. After it's over, I'm pretty much just shutting up. And if you want to do anything to benefit me, please go over to podcastanswerman.com slash products and check out my video training tutorials. Consider, oh, head over to podcastanswerman.com slash artwork. You've probably not been there yet. Head over to podcastanswerman.com slash artwork. Check out some of the things that I can offer for you as far as services that I provide, and I would love to help you out, and I'm going to continue to be here on a week-by-week basis. God bless you all, and here is my review of the Zune H1 recorder. And I'm outside walking through my neighborhood right now, getting ready to wrap up my walk and and sit down on my front porch and do a review of a brand new digital audio recorder that just came off the delivery truck today. I'm holding in my hand a review unit of the Zoom H1 recorder. That's right, I'm using the Zoom H1 recorder to record this. And uh, I'd love to give you some of my thoughts on it. And obviously I felt like coming outside would be a good idea because I have the ability of giving you this this uh, ambient sound of whatever all these crickets and grasshoppers and locusts or whatever it all is going on out here. So a couple of things I'm going to share about this. Um, I want to say that for $99, I think it would be worth the price that you paid for it. However, I want to say that you'd probably be better off saving up some more money and getting yourself a different recorder. For example, one of the things that I, I'm going to go through and try to see if I can make a list of the things that I don't like about this. First and foremost, I'm not a huge fan of the actual microphones um, on the recorder itself. Uh, I actually have to point the 
the the top of the recorder towards my mouth so that it don't sound like I'm off mic. And so if I hold this like I would normally hold a digital audio recorder like this, I now what I'm doing right now is I'm holding this right in front of me just like I would normally hold my recorder if I were recording a Pursuing a Balanced Life. And the reason why I would hold it right here is because right now the thing's only, I mean, I, it's literally only three inches away from my mouth, although it sounds like I'm way off mic. I should sound like this if I point it directly at my mouth. That's great, but the only thing is, is if I point it like this directly at my mouth, there's absolutely zero possibility of me being able to see the display. So if I hold it like this to where I can see the display, I can actually see right now as I'm looking at the display, I can see what the audio levels are, and that's extremely important to me. I'm able to see how long I've been recording. Uh, the only thing is, though, is at night, forget about it. If I go and record a podcast at night, I'm not going to be able to see any of that information because as soon as I get out and uh, start recording, the, the uh, automatic timer on the light is going to automatically shut off the backlight. And there's only one button on the front. I wonder if I hit a button on the side. Uh, let me just hit a button there. So if I actually hit a button on the side, it looks like I can bring the backlight back on. So that's kind of cool, but I actually have to physically press a button. And uh, that's not cool. Uh, I can understand why they do it, because they operate this unit on one single AA battery. So they do a lot of things to preserve the battery life. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd much rather have the battery life lessened by giving me the option to go into a menu and turn off the automatic timer for the light to go out. Uh, I, I definitely don't like that. And of course, there is no option. There is no menu option to go into to, to turn that timer off or to, to delay it further or whatever. Uh, the other thing is that I don't like about this recorder, same as the Samsung uh, Zoom H2 recorder, there is no pause button. So if I needed to cough or do anything like that, or if I wanted to say, hmm, let me think about something and come right back, whatever the case may be, or if I was out recording an episode of this Pursuing a Balanced Life and I ran into a neighbor and I wanted to have a chit-chat with them for five or ten minutes and then get back to my recording, I cannot pause it. I have to physically stop the recording and then when I'm ready to go again, start a new recording and then in post-production would have to put the two episodes together. Not fun. Okay, so I don't like the fact that there's no pause button. The menuing system, just like the Zoom H2 recorder, the menuing system on this thing is atrocious. Uh, there's only one button on the front, and there's a couple buttons over on the right-hand side, and there's a combination between the play-slash-pause button, which you, you would think since there's a pause button for the play feature that you'd be able to hit the record button, and then on the side you'd hit the pause button and you, it would actually pause the recording. No, afraid not. It does not function as a pause button in record mode. But anyway, between the play fa forward, backward buttons on the right-hand side of the unit, uh, and the front uh, button for record, you have to actually use those to navigate through some menus and none of it is intuitive. Absolutely zero of it is intuitive. You literally have to go in and read the manual about how to change the bit rate from, you know, 128 kilobits per second all the way up to, you know, whatever bit rate you want. Uh, there are some buttons on the back which I'll read to you here in just a second. Um, Actually, let me go ahead and do that now. I'm going to look at the back of the unit. And on the back of the unit here, I have to talk louder because I'm way off mic, which is stupid. Uh, but if, I mean, here, here's me. This is me pulling the microphone. This I'm pointing the microphone at me. 
and I've got the recorder, you know, pretty far away. Uh, I'd say I'm about uh, I'm about one foot from my mouth right now. But if I turn it to the side, it immediately takes me to where I sound like I'm off mic. I don't like that at all. Anyway, I think I've already told you that. Oh, I need to turn this unit this way. Uh, on the back, there are uh, three switches. You have the option to turn low cut off or on, uh, which I, I love that. There is an automatic gain control, and they just call it auto level. But uh, automatic gain control is on here. I'm glad that they have the ability to turn that off. And then, of course, there's a little switch where you can actually change to either say, hey, I want to record in wave or MP3. And I love that that's actually a switch on the back of the unit. Although the switch on the back of the unit, you got to be careful because if you accidentally put it over in wave or you accidentally put it in MP3, you might hit the record button and be recording in a different format than what you had intended. And again, uh, you can change between many different bit rates uh, all the way down to 48 kilobits per second, all the way up to 320 kilobits per second. I think that's pretty good. I'm recording this right now directly into MP3 format, and it's going into 128 kilobits per second, uh, which is what I typically would do. And so hopefully this will sound okay to you guys. Um, the other thing that I notice here is um, when you're in Wave, there are different configurations and formats for Wave. You can do Wave 44, um, 44.1 kilohertz uh, sample rate. There's some other sample rates. So anyway, there's there's some functionality and, and some features there. But actually, you know, switching it between MP3 and Wave is easy. Switching it from one for, you know one bit rate to another is kind of well, not kind of. It's extremely clumsy. Uh, and and how to do that and not intuitive at all menu really stinks all right so that is uh, the back of the unit it's got those three uh, buttons and let's see the left side of the unit has the headphones jack and uh, there's only two one-eighth inch ports on here uh, one's on the right side of the unit one's on the left side of the unit the left side of the unit over here there's the headphones jack which also features as a line out jack so it will actually do line out uh, and, but of course, I always say, "Hey, this is a this is a digital audio recorder, not a digital audio player." So, just use it for recording is all I say. Anyway, there is a volume um, level on here, so that if you have earbuds plugged in and you're monitoring monitoring like I am right now, I'm able to hear what's coming through. Um, you you can actually turn your headphone your earbud volumes or headphone volumes volume up a little bit. Uh, I will tell you that there is a micro SD card that it records to. It actually comes with a 2 gigabyte card, which I want to say I'm impressed with a 2 gigabyte card coming with the unit. Uh, but it's micro SD. And I want to tell you, it taking that little tiny micro SD card and trying to figure out which way it actually goes into the unit, and even when I had it in the right way, I felt like if I was to push it in, and I might actually damage the unit because I might be putting it in the wrong way. Very clumsy, these little tiny micro SDs, but hey, it is what it is. And it also comes included with it a micro SD to SD card adapter. So you can actually take out this little micro SD card Put that inside of this little SD card adapter and then stick the SD card into your your SD card reader on your computer and pull the files off over that way. Uh, so I'm glad that it does come with an adapter. I'm not a huge fan of micro SD. The thing's little eensy weensy tiny, but hey, this is a little eensy weensy tiny unit here. In fact, I will tell you right now, the unit is about the size of a Snickers bar. Maybe it, it, it might be bigger than a standard Snickers bar and, and maybe a little bit smaller than a king size 
Snickers bar to give you an idea. I mean, it literally is that size. So I understand why they went with micro SD. Over here on the right-hand side, if I try to open up the little slot for the SD card holder, I want to tell you, this little tiny door that holds that, um, I can guarantee you, if you buy a Zoom H1 recorder, uh, whether you take it off on purpose or take it off accidentally, uh, that little window, that little door that, that covers up the micro SD card, it's not staying there. And so immediately, as soon as you lose that, and you will, I can guarantee you, you will lose the little door that hangs off to the side. It's got a little plastic nub that holds it on there, guaranteed to break off. And so automatically, as soon as that comes off, you've got a, a unit that just looks like it's, you know, it looks like it's been broken uh, because something has fallen off. So very horrible, very horrible door for the micro SD card. Not happy with that at all. Okay, so on the other side of the unit here, there is a USB port, standard USB port. The thing is, is this is weird. It's the first time I've had a recorder, digital audio recorder, that does not come with a USB cable. Uh, now, probably you have many of these around your house, and that's probably why they figured that. But still, let's not assume too much, okay? Because a lot of people don't are not geeky, and they don't have a ton of other USB stuff. So, um, if you don't have, if you buy this recorder and you do not have a USB cable, and you have a MacBook that does not have an SD card slot on it, I'm sorry, you're either going to need to go out and get an SD card reader from the store, or you're going to need to go get a USB cable. So that's kind of frustrating. Um, the power button on this is much better than the Zoom H2. I do like the fact that there is the little switch down there, but you have to kind of drag it down and hold it for a couple seconds for it to come on. And the same is true if you want to turn it off. I really love the fact that they have that. There, I said something positive. Um, let's see here. Uh, the There's a delete button on here. My goodness. I have no idea why they have a delete button on the side of this thing, where they do, and that they don't bury this in some kind of feature where you have to actually go through a menu to accidentally delete a file, but I've already accidentally deleted a file. Now, now that I know how to delete a file and how not to delete a file, I think you could probably get over that, but the fact that, you know, if I'm holding this device, the delete button is, is right there where I would hold my hand. Um, and so it's kind of like the antenna gate on the iPhone 4. Not too happy with the fact that they have a delete button on the side of the unit that you might accidentally press. Now, here's the deal. You're not going to delete a file unless you're in the playback mode. Um, you know, when, this, when the display is lit up, it's actually pretty bright. I kind of like that. Of course, you know, to actually see it, I have to be off mic like this. And I really hate being off mic. I can't tell you. So this is what it looks like if I have to look at it. And, of course, the light just went out, so I have to actually click another button and of course anytime you click the button to get that you're going to get that handling noise so i'm not too crazy about the handling noise but i do like the i like the timer and the vu meters it's bright enough but again it's going to it's going to time out on you and it's not going to be useful for the for the um length of your recording there is an input level to turn up the gain and turn down the gain i kind of like that um, and there's a little speaker at the bottom of the unit if you want to actually click press, press the play button to see if your audio was recorded or whatever. You can you can do that. Um, so so that's pretty much the unit itself. Uh, it does come with a battery, which is interesting. Uh, a, a single AA battery. Here's the thing, though. It does not, and I repeat, it does not come with an AC adapter. So you know if you're going to use this for your uh, going straight from your mixer into your digital audio recorder, you are going to have an issue with uh, the fact that you're going to have to be replacing some batteries. Now, luckily, I use 
um, rechargeable nickel metal hydride batteries myself, and that's what I'm using to test the unit with because I have to send the original battery and its wrapper back to the uh, to my supplier. Uh, but anyway, uh, the the S, you know having an AC adapter I think is pretty important. But then again, you know if this is u- being used out for portable recording, doing interviews and stuff like that, I can understand not having it. However, there is one thing that is missing. Now, of course, you, you could say, well, Cliff, the Edderall digital audio recorder doesn't come with a windscreen either. Right. You're absolutely right. But I have recorded many episodes of Pursuing a Balanced Life outside without a windscreen. However, I'm going to take my little makeshift windscreen off of here, and you're going to find out that doing so, doing a recording outside or using the internal microphones at all without a windscreen is going to be atrocious. So here I go. So here I am. I am now talking into the unit, and this is what it sounds like without a windscreen. So if I was to talk into the windscreen, popping my peas, it sounds atrocious. And if and this is me talking in front of the unit, and so you can still hear just a little bit of the popping peas, and this is ridiculous. And I'd have to actually pull it way far away for me to not pop my peas. However, what I'm going to do now, without the without the uh, without okay without the uh, windscreen on there, and it's it's bothering me. I'm actually going to start walking. So here I am, walking through my neighborhood. Here, this is me walking. This would be recorded through the whole thing. That's me. Wa- that's just me walking. Right there. So, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Pursuing a Balanced Life. I'm going to turn around and walk towards the wind again. Here I go. And uh, this is what it's going to sound like without the windscreen on. Right there. Now I'm going to put the windscreen on. And this is me walking the same direction. So that, my friends, unacceptable. This this unit should not be sold without a windscreen. And there is an accessory pack where you can get a windscreen. So here, again, here I am. I'm going to walk up here. And uh, you can hear how it sounds. That wind... And, and I'm talking about that's just barely... That's barely any wind at all. So I'm going to tell... And, and basically, it's, it's, <laughs> it's got this little design around the microphones. It's like a little wind tunnel. Uh, but anyway, it's... You know, for $99, if you get if you get the windscreen, you put the windscreen on here, uh, and and you're you're going to be much better off. In fact, I would tell you right now that if you have a windscreen on it, and you can get used to the ugly menuing system, if you can get to the point where, um, you know, the fact that there's no pause button on it, uh, for $99, it's absolutely worth it. It is absolutely worth it. Now, here's the situation. This is for out in the field recording. This is for, you know, kind of recording like the walk cast that I do. This is kind of like recording a little interview. You can have this little, you know, chocolate candy bar sized recorder in your pocket and pull it out and do a little interview with somebody right off the bat. Uh, You know, that's pretty nice. But really, honestly, I can do that with my iPhone and the iTalk recorder. I personally would not spend $99 on this, but I know a lot of people who would. Now, the question for me would be, is this something that could be used to actually plug in and record on the, uh, on the computer? And so I'm going to walk inside the house here, and I'm going to walk down to my studio. And, uh, and as soon as I get into the studio, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try out 
speaking into my Heil PR40 and bringing that in just the same way that I would normally bring in audio from my mixer. So here I go. I'm going to plug this in. Uh, let's see. Take the windscreen off. Now, you're going to, of course, I'll probably edit out, edit out the noise here, or maybe I won't. Maybe I can just plug this in. Okay, so here I am. I am. I need to turn down the gain. Ah, you know what? That actually, that might work. Check one, two. Ah, that takes care of that. You know what? For $99, I think I may have just changed my mind. Check one, two. And if I turn this audio level down to 20, it's at 22, there's 20. Okay, so now I'm, I've actually got the audio recorder at 20, uh, input level 20. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, play some audio clips here. So I would say, let's say, Pursuing a Balanced Life podcast episode number 479. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Well, there you go. So, yeah, actually, you know what? Um, I was afraid earlier. I was hearing some, you know, I plugged in this and I thought I was getting like a ground loop noise. But I think I just had it up gain too high because check this out. If I turn it way up again and I'm turning it up here. There you go. And so, I, wow, it really does gain up that microphone. So do you hear? Oh, wow. Sorry. So do you hear that audio level? That's, you know, I thought that was ground loop noise, but that was really because I was gained up too high. I'm actually going to turn that down. So I'm going to bring that back down to 20. And if I bring the input level back down to 20, there we go. Check one, two, check, check, check. Okay, bring it. That's 30. And I'm going to bring it all the way down to 20. Now, of course, your audio levels may, you know, di differ because of how loud your output of your mixer is and stuff. But anyway, if I bring it down to 20, I can see right here on the display, I am hitting right between 12 and 6, which is what I want to hit. So really, actually, okay, so you know what? I'm actually going to change my opinion right here as I record the review. This thing's worth $99. Um, the only thing is, though, oh, my goodness, I just noticed a really huge issue. Really huge issue. There's not even an option to, there's not even an option to plug in an AC adapter. So you, you can't get an AC adapter. You have to use battery power. Is that really right? Now, I may completely screw everything up here, but I've got a USB plug plugged in, and I'm going to plug it into the side of the unit and see if it actually does anything. Uh, well, obviously, you definitely, you definitely don't want to do that, as, as you can tell right there. Okay, yeah, certainly won't do that, but no, uh, plugging it in doesn't give you, like, power or anything like that. Uh, it still runs off the battery. Okay, so so no no AC adapter at all. Uh, let me take a look at the notes when I unpack this thing. So no AC adapter, no windscreen. It does only require one AA battery, but, uh, you know, make sure you carry a couple of them with you. It comes with a two gigabyte micro SD card because of how small it is. I can understand it. I love the fact that they do give you the the USB adapter, the you know the SD card adapter. Uh, there is no USB cable, but you probably have a couple of those. Hopefully, uh, if you don't have an SD card reader on your computer, because to be honest with you, I'd much rather use an USB cable on this thing 
instead of taking this little micro SD out, putting it inside of the SD card and then putting the SD card in the computer and then taking the SD card out of the computer, taking the little micro SD card out of the SD card adapter and then trying to put the micro SD card back into the recorder every time. My ideal scenario would be that I always leave the two gigabyte card in the unit and just use the USB cable. Now, one of the things that I did notice is that when you uh, go to, um, if your unit is already on and it's in its regular mode and you plug in the, the USB cable, you would think that maybe that would automatically do something for you, like pull it up. I had to turn the unit off and when the USB cable is plugged in and then I turn it on, then it's in USB mode. Um, but again, the 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 fact that you're probably that you're going to have uh, this hundred dollar device, and within probably thirty days of you owning the unit, you're going to be missing the little compartment door that covers up the S the micro SD card. I think that's pretty atrocious. I really do. I think that that's very poor design, and I'm I am very harsh on them for that. That is ridiculous. Um, I don't like the fact that the screen uh, the 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 backlight does not have an option for me to leave it on. Uh, I would prefer to have a, a decent size bat or a decent battery in there and just to trust my battery life will list, last long enough. Certainly wouldn't be able to do a live show Thursday on this unit. I, I would certainly run a battery down in the middle of a show or something like that. Um, the other thing I will tell you is as soon as, just like any other recorder, as soon as you plug a line in device like from the mixer, it immediately disables the onboard mics, which is good. No pause button is a, that right there kills it for me personally. I like to pause my recordings way too much. You can't see the display while you're out walking. I hate that. And I really don't like the single button. I, I'd love to see some more buttons on the front or, that did something. Uh, and then, of course, the menuing system, really horrible. Now, with all of the negatives that I've given you, I want to say right now, because I am able to use this to go from my Heil PR40 microphone and I am able to go into the uh, mixer and then straight into the digital audio recorder and now that I know that you know when I plug that in if I turn the gain down enough it's not bringing in that ground noise um, or the noise floor uh, then I tell you I really I think that you know as long as you've got plenty of batteries and as long as you're always putting fresh batteries in when you get started uh, yeah, you could use this recorder to record your audio from the mixer, uh, just like I do with my Edderall recorder. Uh, if you're going outside and you want to record interviews out in the field, and if you want to, um, you want to use the onboard microphones to like record a walkcast like I do, uh, you are going to have to point the microphone at you if you want it to sound just right. Uh, otherwise, you're going to sound off mic. But you must, you absolutely, hands down, you must have extra batteries and you must have a windscreen if you're going to use the onboard microphone. So uh, there you go. That is my review of the Zoom H1 Handy Recorder. Anyway, folks, I'll talk to you all soon. God bless you. And uh, until next time, join the community.